Hello and welcome to another edition of Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino and I'm your host and I'm here with talent on loan from Rush. A lot of people will say in regards to our politicians, they'll say, well, there are lots of issues. Abortion is one issue. They certainly get that from Catholics or Christians who will say those types of things about our Catholic president. But I've always said, would you support someone who you liked on all sorts of issues, but they were pro-slavery? And I think the answer is very simple. Anyone would have a tough time answering yes to that question. And I think that the correlation between abortion and slavery is 100% correlated uh, with abortion being actually a greater evil if that's even possible in the in regards to the horrors of slavery. My guest today is Olivia Murray. Olivia wrote a book called Abortion v. Slavery. It's an excellent book she sent me. I got a chance to read it, and I asked her to come on to talk about it. Olivia, welcome. Hey, hi, how are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for being here. So first, let's talk about uh, some of the things that you're involved in. I mentioned, and we'll talk about the book in a second here. You're also president of Life for Unborn Children. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's right. I am. So it's a nonprofit. And the goal really is education from a pro-life apologetics perspective. And yeah, so what I found when I got into, you know, realizing what abortion was, I felt like there was a total lack of understanding for a lot of people about what abortion was. And I could relate Because I, you know, up through the age of 25, didn't even know what it was, you know, and so I don't understand how that happens. So that was really the angle I wanted to take was I'm I'm really fascinated by apologetics. And so I could apply that, you know, interest in the pro-life movement. Yep. Excellent. Yeah. Great, great group, great organization that you're doing uh, great work. So, okay. So I want to get into the book. So here is the book uh, that you, you had sent me that you wrote. And um, it's a very, very easy read. It's, uh, uh, it's really excellent and a really great job. So let's start with uh, going through sort of uh, the chapters or the sections. Obviously, people will want to read it to get the full depth and breadth of it all. But you start with the comparison of abortion and slavery, talking about the dehumanization, basically dehumanizing the condemned population, the the people we're talking about. So talk about that for a minute. Yeah. So in that, you know, in that chapter, a huge part of what we see in the anti-abortion movement is the language used to um, relegate the victim to, you know, where they're not human. It's not a big deal that you're committing an evil against them because they're not human. Um, You know, so we hear fetus. Yes, obviously that's accurate, but it, it doesn't, evoke the same things that the word baby does. So they specifically, you know, the the pro-abortion movement people, they'll specifically use language um, to kind of manipulate, you know, emotions or whatever, you know, surrounding the dialogue. Um, We hear the word parasite, which is totally, you know, just not even factual because, you know, by definition, that one doesn't work. Um, You know, zygo, embryo, all these very scientific words to avoid calling the baby what the baby is, a human, a child, you know, deserving of life. Um, and that was the same thing that had happened in slavery. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to go into, you know, very like racially charged words, but not referring to the, uh, a human being as a human being, you know, coming up with all these other ways to, you know, just dehumanize and, and give, you know, evoke that they're not 
they're not human beings, which is totally inaccurate. Yeah. And you could think about the, the, the whole concept of, you know, women having the choice to do what they want with their body. They're kind of separating right. that out and making it about them. And you had that in slavery where, where it was the, the slaves were the property of the slave owners who were, who were typically, by the way, typically very wealthy plantation owners. The average person did not own slaves. They couldn't afford it. Right. You know, they didn't have use for slavery, but it was the very rich landowners. And yeah, they talked about it from that perspective. So let's look at the the second areas you, you talk about invoke compassion and sympathy. Explain that. Yeah, that one was um, both what I saw in my research. You know, I had found that um, both evils that the, you know, perpetrators of the aggression were um, invoking, you know, moral or Christian duty to, you know, continue this practice, whether it be abortion or slavery. You know, in abortion, um, I reference that Planned Parenthood actually has what they call their cab. It's the clergy advocacy board. And they have rabbis, they have, you know, quote, Christian pastors, they have Muslims, they have everybody, you know, from every denomination, religion that make up this board to push, you know, abortion being the religious, you know, and, and right thing to do, you know, per the, the denomination. Um, and that was the same thing with slavery. They used, obviously, the, the population was predominantly Christian. And they were saying, you know, if we want to educate and help these people, they must be brought to America because we can't go to Africa. You know, we can't go to Africa for progress and preservation. They have to come here. And the only way to do that is come in chains. So both, you know, um, both using that, you know, it's the Christian or moral right thing to do to continue this, you know, egregious evil. So, yeah, that's an interesting point because we kind of forget that so many of the slaveholders in the South were Christian people and they had to find a way to sort of justify it because it goes in defiance of the Christian belief. Right. And you still have that today. As you said, there's plenty of Christians who are pro-abortion and find ways to support it. And they seemingly do so similar to the first, you know, dehumanizing is they make it not about the act of killing, right? Just like they make it not about the act of slavery and the dehumanization of other human beings. They kind of spun it to be something else. So I always feel like the first thing you have to do in order to believe in or support abortion, and the same goes to slavery, is you have to first lie to yourself, Right, right, right. You have right. to first tell yourself that it is not wrong, it is not evil, and then you find a way to justify it. Uh, right. Okay, yeah, that's really great. And you get into in both uh, all of these topics, obviously you're giving sort of the 30,000-foot view. You get into some specifics in the book that give examples of what you're talking about. And so the next area is, uh, you, you mentioned, is a petition to reason and logic. That seems like an interesting take to explain it. Yeah, so that one, um, I addressed the fact that both with slavery and with abortion, it was net promoted as being necessary for survival. Now, with abortion, that argument is overpopulation. You know, there's not enough resources to to provide for all these people on the earth. And which obviously, aside from the fact it's untrue, even if that was the case, it would not make it right. Um, you don't kill innocent people ever. You know, that's it's wrong. Um, and then with with slavery, they said, you know, if, if we get rid of slavery, who's going to, you know, farm the fields and everyone is reliant on this system. You know, that was a big one. And then also specifically with talking about the English Navy, because this was pre-revolution, 
you know, what will happen with this, you know, they say the bulwark, you know, of the, the Navy, um, you know, this amazing, you know, all these sailors, they'll go into work for competing countries. Yeah. And, and I think you mentioned in, in the book, too, about how some of the justification was, well, then other countries will continue slavery and they'll be more advanced than us. And they'll, you know, essentially put us out of business or be a threat. And right. Right. Yeah. As you said, all, all these arguments are are a nonsensical. It, it, it again reminds me of when people say, well, you know, if someone's poor, you could they should be able to have an abortion. OK. And then the, the final area or final section in your book that you talk about is you portraying abortion as a losing battle. Right. And that, yeah. And that is where you, you know, you just touched on with the slavery, exactly that. Um, if, if the, if England is to leave the slave trade, um, other countries are just going to fill the spot. And actually, you know, the treatment of slaves will decline because, you know, England was the, the moral one. Um, you know, so if, if we, if we leave the slave trade, that hole is just going to be filled. And so you hear that a lot. People are just going to do it anyways, you know, with abortion. They're just, even if you don't, you know, if, even if you ban it, they're still going to get back alley abortions and which is so nonsensical, you know, and it just, and, and like you said too, just, this is a little off topic, but you know, you touch on all these societal ills, you know, someone's poor, they're impoverished. They could grow up in abuse. That is never a justification for killing a human being. So many of these arguments are based on logical fallacies. It just, they don't make sense. You know, they might appear to make sense on the surface, um, but, you know, you need to be able to identify these, you know, and obviously in order to, to kind of disassemble these nonsensical arguments. It, you know, all this stuff, it, especially, you know, with the last one, it's a losing battle. People are going to do it anyways. People are going to murder anyways. People are going to rape anyways. People are going to always do bad things. You don't legalize it because it's wrong. That's law and order. Hundred percent, hundred percent accurate. Um, I'm always interested in when I might have my guests on to know a little bit about them. And as much as you're willing to share about yourself, I, I'm curious to know, you know, how you got into the pro-life movement, how you became motivated, I guess, to you know take the time because it's not it's not easy to write a book. How did that come about? You know, so I I'm actually 32 right now. Um, Around the age of 25, I became a believer. And at, you know, at that time, obviously, my entire worldview changed, you know, and I had a Christian perspective, something I didn't have before, and was able, you know, the scales fall and you see things differently. And one of those was abortion. And praise God, I never voted before. Um because I probably would have said I was on the opposite side with a lot of the, a lot of the ways I feel now, as far as like politically, morally, everything. Um, so I'm so thankful. But um, you know, at that time, and when I and that, like I said, you know, I got to the age 25 and I didn't know what abortion was. You know, I had known girls in my high school who had gotten them, but I hadn't even ever given a second thought to abortion. You know, like oh, I'm they were pregnant and now they're not. I didn't understand that it was absolute murder. And at that time, you know, when I started learning about the viciousness of it, I was like, oh my gosh, whoa, this has been going on. And so that was obviously the impetus with starting, you know, Life for Unborn Children was because how am I 25 years old not understanding that nine-month-old babies are being ripped up? And then obviously from, you know, you start at nine months and you go backwards and you get all the way to the moment of conception. You can't kill an innocent human being. And at that moment, a new innocent, you know, a new human being is created. Before conception, there was no person there. After conception, there always was a person there. So a huge part of it, obviously, was becoming a believer. And 
at that time, you know, because I feel things so deeply and I'm so, you know, I can be so emotional with, you know, I don't want people hurting. I don't want especially children hurting. Um, it was really hard for me to, um, you know, be effective in the pro-life movement. That was, it, it took a long time of, you know, God working in my heart to be able to emotionally handle, you know, the serious and, you know, gravity of what abortion, you know, pro-life work is. And, you know, eventually I did. And, you know, my, obviously, of course, my, my, I have a strong interest in Christian apologetics since that, you know, since 25, when I became a Christian. And so it was just kind of a natural, you know, by my nature, the things I'm interested in was to able to translate into the pro-life movement, you know, and so this, this book is written from an apologetics perspective, trying to use logic and reason to get the audience to the right conclusion. So you're not obviously using like faith-based arguments or whatever. You're using science and just logic and like, hey, logically, your side doesn't make sense. Curious, you think a lot, a lot of people that are not pro-life, let, let's take it from that sort of negative, right? They're not pro-life like you were. You were just kind of, you didn't know, you didn't think about it. Do you think a lot of people today are in that same boat and that they don't really even know what happens in abortion or they still believe that it's a clump of cells and there's just really nothing there? Or do you think that they go, no, I, I know what it does. It rips apart babies or fully grown almost. And, and I'm still fine with it. What do you think is predominant? I think a majority don't know. Um, now I'm also, you know, kind of separately quite involved politically in my local area and as far as the general population, especially the younger ones, they've grown up in public school. They're especially not being taught this. So they don't know. And I went, to, I grew up in public school. I do see, I, I will point out, like, as far as Republicans that I'm, you know, interacting with on a daily basis, there's not a lot of conviction to really fight for what I see is just, I mean, beyond horrendous. Um, you know, so I see a lot of people who identify as pro-life and they just don't, it doesn't mean anything to them. But, um, you know, as far as what I think the general population is, I think they don't know. Yeah, I, I would imagine you're right. I mean, it's it's a, a bit of a, a guess or assumption because we, we don't know what's in the hearts and minds of 320 million people that are out right. there, obviously. Uh, but I, I think that you're right that a lot of people don't simply don't know. And these uh, politicians who are pro-life but do nothing to advance the cause, they're scared. They're afraid is what I think. And it shows that they're weak and we need strong people in place. Um, was there, was there something or things that occurred that caused you at age 25 to, you know, to, to find your faith and find, is there anything you can share on that? Um, you know, I just, I had, um, probably at that time recently moved to Arizona and I had met a girl who had a similar past to me. So we really bonded and she happened to be a Christian. And I said, oh, okay, cool. I'm not Christian, but we can be friends. And it was, you know, so just becoming friends with her and being exposed to the truth. Obviously, you know, God opened my heart and softened my heart to be able to hear the truth. But, um, you know, really me, you know, I, I love, I'm kind of intellectual. I like reading. I like books, all that. So, and especially reading apologetics stuff. I was like, this, it's obviously true. I can't deny it because here's the facts right here. And these aren't faith-based arguments. They're, this is, you know, they're just hard, objective fact. How are you going to deny that? Um, and so that was a huge part of it. I really, 
is is reading Christian apologetics. But you know, and my friend, her name was Mariah. It, becoming you know friends with her was was really great because she was one of the few friends I had to, to in Tucson when I moved here. Great, good for her. Good for Mariah. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know that's really great. That so now, how can people? Uh, if you're interested in them connecting with you and following what you're doing uh, on social media or whoever, how, how can people connect to you? They definitely, I'm probably, I'm not a, I'm not super big with social media. I, my probably biggest audience would be on Instagram so okay. they could find me there. And my handle is real Olivia Murray. So easy to remember. Um, but email, if people are interested in learning, I am so willing to try and help and share what I do know. My email is Olivia at luckusa.org. So L-U-C-U-S-A.org. And then um, the book is on Amazon. People can get it there. Now, I kind of prefer to try and give Amazon as little business as possible. So I am happy if people want this book, email me, then I can connect with them, get to know them, and I'm happy to ship them copies, you know, at my expense. So if, you know, if people are interested in that way, we can kind of bypass Amazon as much as possible. Yeah, that's great. So again, this is uh, this is the book here. Uh, Olivia did send me a copy, and I read it uh, very very quickly, and it's really good, really really well written. I think it's something that even if you're you know a staunch pro lifer and you feel confident and comfortable in the, all the arguments, if you if you have someone you think is on the fence or doesn't really know, or or is even strongly pro abortion. Uh, this is a really good book because it is it does give um, it does give the really good arguments and it's an easy quick read right so it's not like you're handing them you know that eight was books the goal here. yeah yeah to be no, not intimidating <laughs> yeah no I I think that it is really great and that's why I think it made me think about handing it to someone who who hey maybe they'll pick it up for a little bit and they can get through it really really quickly and as opposed to think being intimidated by something big. And so, yeah, really great stuff. Please, please definitely get uh, Olivia's book or connect with her. Can you give the, uh, your email address one more time? Yep. It's Olivia, O-L-I-V-I-A at L-U-C-U-S-A.org. So luck USA for life for unborn children, USA. Yeah. Um, so very easy, but they could go to the website too. I think i it's, it's under construction, but my, I think my contact information is on there um, or find me on Instagram. Yep. Yeah. If you go to Instagram uh, at Oliv real Olivia Murray and you know, all her stuff is listed there. So if you're, you know, not sure, just go there. That's pretty simple and pretty easy. So great. Olivia Murray, thank you so much for being here. Great book, great cause, great work. Uh, keep it up. Thank you. And thanks for being here. I appreciate you being here as well. And thank all of you for listening to this episode of Fide's podcast with Olivia Murray. Please check her out at, at Real Olivia Murray on Instagram. And please get her book, Abortion v. Slavery, and for yourself or to hand out to someone else as well. So please check this episode out on all the different podcast apps on YouTube, on Rumble, and on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on rightamericamedia.com. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time.
It's the same. 